DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome in the blue part of the red and the blue. Brian Keel here to talk BYU football and maybe a little conference championship football as well. Brian, good morning. Good morning. How, you, how y'all doing? Good. We need an explanation, Brian. <laughs> I do not have one. Oh, okay, never mind then. <laughs> Why did Good they score to a touchdown against San Diego State? Oh, man, I saw a stat embarrassing twice for BYU, and it said that in the last 20 years, only four college football teams have had over 400 yards of offense and only mustered a field goal. And BYU's done it twice now. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That is crazy. <laughs> Oh, man, I, I saw that stat. I was like, man, how are we involved in that horrible stat? And twice, that's just bad. That's bad football. That's just really bad football. So what changes in the red zone? Because obviously there were three field goal attempts, one made, two missed. Uh, so a lot of yards getting down the field, but then in the red zone, it all comes to – I mean, you're on the defensive side of the ball, but you know what the issues are and the advantages are the defense has there. What what was going wrong for BYU in the in the red zone? Yeah, so um, for the casual observer, red zone offense and defense is different. Um, you know, the, the the defense you do not have as much field to defend now. So, you know, if you're if you're a corner, you don't have to defend a go route the same as you would in the middle of the field because you know you can't run a forty yard route. There's there's limited real estate down there. Everything changes. And some teams are really good at taking advantage of that offensively. And conversely, some teams are really good at playing red zone defense. Obviously, San Diego State has a good defense, has a good defense all year. Um, we made them look like world beaters. Um, but they bowed up. They bowed up really well in the red zone, which as a defender, that's what you, that's what you want to do. Um, if, you, if, you can, if you can really just get tight down there and make them kick field goals and then if they go ahead and miss those field goals you're going to end up winning the game so hats off to San Diego State they they executed very well in the red zone so we in sports radio play Monday morning quarterback or in this case Friday morning quarterback and with that in mind I mean I know you're not a quarterback expert um, but I'm watching this game thinking, okay, it's just not happening for Zach Wilson. And I don't like to necessarily switch quarterbacks just on a whim, but Baylor Romney has been a little bit of a surprise and a, not a totally proven commodity, but I thought they needed a spark. And yep. given the fact that he'd played well, you know, if he hadn't had no experience, that's another story, but he had played well. Why not make a change? Yeah, so I, you know... Typically, I'm I'm not for that, but in this situation, I would have given it a good hard look and maybe done it. And for everything that you just said, and especially considering, I think it's different when you you, you kind of you have the starting quarterback and he's the guy, and um, it, it, and and that is there is merit to that, and it's different when that guy's been in there every snap, every game been playing the whole season. But considering that Wilson's been hurt, he's been out of it has been rusty when he's been back. Who knows how his thumb is. Um, considering all those things, man, I, I I don't know. I wonder how much discussion went into it. If I was the head coach, which I'm not, um, I definitely would have thought long and hard at it. Um, one thing, you know, Wilson, I think he's got tremendous talent, um, but 
he is a gunslinger, and he has turned into even more of a gunslinger, unfortunately, for us this year. Um, Ten interceptions is just way too many, way too many times throwing it to the other team. And especially, I mean, he's missed five games and haven't many interceptions. So that's something that he's going to have to work on. He has the talent, and sometimes that talent, it, it's mesmerizing, and you start to think that you can force a ball in that you, you really shouldn't. And that's it's really bit us at critical times this year. And that's, that's something for him as a quarterback, as a football player, he has got to address in this offseason and get better at. Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker, former NFL guy, joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'm curious as you put a wrap here on the regular season. Apparently, BYU doesn't travel well. In a crazy up-and-down season, uh, losing at Toledo, at USF, at San Diego State, UMass honestly looked to me like a high school team. That wasn't even a true game. Utah State, yeah, they travel barely. you gotta, you got to bus up to Logan. Uh, what about these road games and the travels seem to, to trip BYU up? Because they should have won two or possibly even all three of those games. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't, a lot of it's routine, and I think coaches, coaches can be really good at um, and a lot of a lot of coaching is X and O's, but in terms of like the head guy's job, a lot of it is logistics and and management and just having a routine. And, and this is you know again like somebody who hasn't played high level football, they're not really around that, and um, they don't understand how much goes into that. Um, you know, I played with the Giants, and I wasn't super fond of Tom Coughlin just as a as a as a player's coach, because he wasn't a player's coach. He, he didn't really like me. I didn't really like him, but he was a good coach. Obviously won two Super Bowls. Um, I thought he was, I thought he was a good coach. And one of the, one of his really assets was, was that management. He was really good at just like keeping the team focused and, and ready to play and traveling and just all the little logistics. Um, my true freshman year, uh, was Gary Croton's second season, and um, I thought he was a good football coach, X and O's, really good. Um, but it's some of that management stuff that got away from him, which was his downfall as the head coach at BYU. Um, we we traveled, we went down and played Nevada, and we flew down there the day of the game, which was just just asinine, just a stupid idea. <laughs> and you have got, I mean, you get on an airplane and you have, you know, the oxygen's weird and your legs feel weird and you're, it's just, just a stupid idea. And, you know, long story short, we got beat by Nevada and the wheels ended up coming off. And I, I mean, there's no way to know, but I tell you right now, I guarantee you, if we don't fly down there the day of the game, we don't lose to Nevada in 2002 coming off a 12 and two season the year before um my my point is yeah you byu has not they have not done a good job and i don't know that it's it's you know instances of that where the coaches have mismanaged it but i can absolutely speak from experience that it makes a difference and it's it's something that they need to look at and improve on well playing spin the bottle to determine your quarterback also didn't help oh you talking about croton yeah <laughs> yeah, that 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 was probably uh, the biggest. Uh, probably recruiting guys outside that didn't want to follow the honor code was probably his biggest downfall. And yeah, spin the ball at quarterback definitely hurt him. Um, 
Should have played Ben Olsen that year in 2002. He was he was legit. Remember it well. <laughs> when Michelle King looks at you when you walk in the newsroom and says, "What is he doing?" Like, I don't I don't know how to explain to Michelle. I got nothing for you. I don't know. I mean, he thinks it's gonna he thinks it's gonna work, but nobody else does that. It doesn't make any sense. Michelle, don't yell at me. <laughs> what uh, with that in mind, Brian? What'd you think of the extension for Kalani? I thought it was the absolute absolute um, right thing to do for a couple of reasons, and we've talked about this before. Um, I thought he, I thought he has earned it in in the way that he's he's uh, coached the team. I don't think that he's earned it just running away, and that's not a slight on him, and that's just that's obvious. Anybody, you know. I, don't think that would offend Kalani by me saying that, but anybody that's watched it, you know, it's not like we've been having ten win seasons and you know just been dominating. So I don't think he earned it running away, but I do think he's done a good job. I think he's done a good job managing tough situations, particularly with injuries. I don't know what it is about BYU football. I mean, all of college sports, all of all of college football, everybody has injuries. But for whatever reason, we just we get nailed year after year, and it really it hurt, it, it, it it's tough. Dude. And he is, I think he's done a good job overcoming that. Um, so for all those reasons, and then on top of it, there's just you know to be the devil's advocate because I know a lot of people think that we should make a change. I have people in my family. I'm not going to name names and throw them under the bus, but I have people within my family who are, who think that, oh, we need to make a change, and that's, that's college sports. You know, fans are fickle. They think that a change is going gonna, is gonna to be automatic improvement, but the devil's advocate is, who else are you going to get? And, you know, I, I don't think that's the best thing to say because it's not like you want to have the job by default, but that is something that you have to keep in mind is it's, you know, you make a change there, okay, now what? Now who are you going to get? Um, so for, for both of those reasons, I do think he's earned it. He hasn't earned it running away, but um, I think he has earned it. And the alternative is, I don't, I don't know who you're going to get. Brian Keel joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I don't know that Utah fans want to know what you think, given some of the long-running back and forth you've had with them. But it seems like, you know, football and the Utes look great. Oregon looked great destroying USC, but they haven't looked that good the last three games. And I think the last two have been a real problem. Certainly they lost ASU and kind of muddled through that Oregon State thing. Uh, What kind of shot did the Utes have at winning this game? And then what kind of shot did they have at getting to the playoff? Well, the first thing I want to say is I'm watching those two games, Utah's against Colorado and BYU's against San Diego State on Saturday. And what came into my mind was a tweet that I sent out after the I – I think it was just right after the BYU-Utah game. And I, I said – it was the whole game manager thing. And I said, I said, Wilson is a gamer and Huntley is a game manager. And I was thinking about that tweet – on Saturday, and I was thinking to myself, that tweet did not age well. Because <laughs> those two quarterbacks, um, unfortunately, Wilson has really struggled this year. And like I said, you know, with the throwing it to the other team, and he has kind of had the sophomore slump and has digressed a little bit. And on the flip side, Huntley has absolutely done the opposite. He has progressed and developed, and he's become all the things that Utah has hoped and wished for. And I've said, I have actually joked um, about this for for five, six, seven years. I've said, man, just kind of like ribbing my Utah fan neighbors. I've said, man, 
Utah's got a good team. Imagine if they had a quarterback. I, I have literally said that joke for years now because they've they have had they've had all the pieces on their their roster, um, and now they finally have the guy under center that that looks to be like he can lead them to the promised land. Um, they have a fantastic football team. Obviously, um, great chance to beat Oregon. They're favored. I think the, the line is, is five points. And um, it should be a fantastic football game. It's going to be the best team that Utah's faced all year. So I'm interested to see how that plays out, how they respond, because they've had played some, some pretty easy teams. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond to a real challenge. And like I said last week or two weeks ago, it's going to come down to, to turnovers. Um, if Utah continues to have turnovers like they have, then they win the game, and they have a really good chance at, at getting in the, the dance. So. We'll have to see what happens. Do you think that Utah's success has a negative effect upon BYU's football program? Yeah, so someone, some, a BYU fan on Twitter <clears throat> said something uh, I, it, there were, I think there was a couple fans uh, going back and forth, and one of the, the BYU fans said that Utah's success absolutely – he said it was a zero-sum game and that their success absolutely, no matter what, hurts BYU. And I think there, you, that is a school of thought. You can look at it that way. Um, but another thing, too, is uh, – and this was, was my response. I said, you know, as Utah has success, I think – one silver lining is it puts pressure on BYU decision makers. Like, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to respond? And if, and if you look back when Utah and TCU left the conference, that put pressure on BYU to, to make a decision. What are we going to do? And they ended up getting a, a, a good lucrative deal with ESPN and going independent. Which I, And I think at, at the time, I think that was the right choice. Um, anyway, you know, Utah has just continued to progress as a program and, and we're, you know, we're, we're tied at the hip and as they progress and as we stagnate, I think that puts pressure on our decision makers that, um, you know, I don't know if it's more money, if it's more resources, if it's, you know, loosening up some, some standards and requirements. Um, and it's not just the honor code. I, I don't know that a lot of people know this, but BYU has heightened academic standards that other schools don't have to deal with in recruiting. So it's not just the honor code. It's also academic things. And it just, there's a lot of, of uh, handcuffing on the, on the football and basketball programs. And so I think maybe Utah success put some pressure for some changes. Who knows? We'll see. Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker, NFL guy. Who's the best college football team in the country? Who's going to win this? Um, I would either. I think it's either LSU or Ohio State. Well, I thought you were going to say that. But um, I wanted you to pick one. I want to pick one. Um, oh, man, I I'd probably say LSU. Um, I think they're a little stronger defensively. Um, I think Ohio State has the, the offense. I don't know because I think Ohio State has the best player in my opinion, in my opinion, in college football. Um, uh, what is the pass rusher? Is Young? Is that his name? What's his name? Yeah, yeah, Chase Young. Yeah, I think he's the best player. Um, so I don't know. I think maybe slight edge because of the defense to LSU, but I don't know. I'm not giving you a good answer. We'll go LSU. We'll say that. 
Well, Brian, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us all season long, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you about the bowl game here in a little while. Sounds good. Guys, take care. Brian Keel, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, PK joins us from Santa Clara, Pac-12 title game tonight. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Utes and Ducks kick off in the Pac-12 title game tonight on ABC, 6 o'clock. we got a roundtable pregame show at 5 o'clock here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tomorrow, a lot of basketball in the day. It's BYU and UNLV, Vivint Smart Home Arena. Tomorrow, 1 o'clock, you can watch it on BYU TV. UVU heads to Cedar City to face SUU tomorrow at 2. Utah hosts Central Arkansas at 3 o'clock on the Pac-12 Networks. 25th-ranked Utah State hosts Fresno State in Logan in Mountain West Conference play at 4 o'clock. Weaver State hosts Westcliff in Ogden at 7. And then... It's the Jazz and the Grizzlies, 8 o'clock, Vivint Smart Home Arena, AT&T Sportsnet. The Zone's coverage will start at 7 o'clock. Remember to listen to the Aggie game at 4 o'clock here on the Zone Sports Network. Scotty G, you have the pregame show at 3. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Action Plumbing. Call Action Plumbing to get your preseason furnace tune-up and safety check for $33 by calling Action Plumbing at 801-833-3333 or going to actionplumbing.net. Big Show. Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Are you ready? You guys ready? Covering the Ducks for the Oregonian. He is James Crepio. How do you think this game's going to go? I think it's going to be a clash and battle of strengths, which you would hope the conference title game set up that way. You have one of the best offensive lines in the country against one of the best defensive lines in the country, and a Utah defense that is strong at all three levels up against an offense that is a top 25 offense, but be that as it may, after two less than stellar performances and a loss at Arizona State and then a mediocre looking win against Oregon State. If Utah had to draw a win to get Oregon, boy, is it getting them at the right time as far as Oregon's offense is concerned. Turn this up. Catch the Big Show, presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Afternoons from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. PK, join us from Santa Clara. PK, is there a lot of hype in the Bay Area, or is the Bay Area a big place that kind of swallows up an event like this and just keeps going? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is just jammed. Everywhere you go, there's huge flags. (laughs) Oregon flags, uh, not so much. No, I mean, you've been in the Bay Area many times as I have. uh, And uh, when it gets to Las Vegas, maybe it'll be that type of thing. But, uh, you know, in the Bay Area, they got so much going on. The Niners are doing their thing, and... Obviously, the Warriors are way down this year, and so uh, that tends to dominate the sports landscape, the professional. In, in a way, the Bay Area is probably, of all the Western cities, the most East Coast-like in that regard compared to what you have back East, where at least my frame of reference, where it was so professionally oriented, the colleges really were a, a secondary in the New York area where I grew up. Uh, for the first 14 years of my life, you know, it was all about the pros. And I think it's uh, that way in the Bay Area, too. Whereas in L.A., with SC being so good and so dominant for so many years, you know, they got so much run. And plus, too, obviously, for Los Angeles, they went, what, 25, 30 years, whatever it was, without an NFL team. So it's a little bit of difference here. But, you know, for the people who are going to be here and the people who will be coming to the stadium, this really matters because you can go on and on on the playoff and we'll know Sunday – 
But at the very least, and I use the word least very loosely because I think it matters a lot, the Rose Bowl's on the line. And so for me, if the Rose Bowl was on the line, that's all I ever wanted as a Sun Devil fan to be on the line. And that was on the line. Obviously, they've gone twice and probably six times I think it was on the line. So this is a huge game for University of Utah and just historically for the University of Utah. I don't want to say, I don't want to be too dramatic and say turn the corner because I think they've already turned the corner. But once you can get into the Rose Bowl, who knows, maybe you can establish yourself as a dominant team. They're a dominant team this year, but are they going to be a dominant team in the future? Well, we'll worry about that now, but, or we'll worry about that later. But for now, obviously, it's a figure out a way to beat Oregon tonight. Uh, I think everybody's got something different they want to watch. There's a lot of stuff out there about the matchup, uh, you know, Anai versus Sewell, the offensive line for Oregon, which is so good, against the defensive line for Utah, which is so good. I just can't help but think in the games where we've seen teams either compete with Utah or the one case where we saw USC beat them, it was teams that had success throwing the ball. The Washington State game, the USC game, the Washington game. You know, Washington, Washington State, hung in there for a while. Wazoo was down by a point with about three minutes left in the half, and then the Utes blew him off the field. Utah got down 14-3 to at Washington and then dominated the game until Washington got a late score that you know made it a five-point game. But the Utes down 11 were up by 12. And I think in both those games, the Utes got a handle on the passing game. Struggled with it early, then got a handle on it. The SC game, obviously, Slovis throws for 350 and four scores. It's Washington, even though they gave up 300 yards, they got the big pick six that turned the game. So I'm thinking how the Utes handle Oregon's passing game is the biggest thing to watch in this game. You got one thing you're really watching for in this game? I I don't know that I'm going to be watching one specific thing. I'm going to be watching everything because, obviously, these are the two most complete teams in the conference, right? These are the two best teams. There's just no question about it. That's the... The good thing, there's a good and bad thing in this. The bad thing about the conferences being so mediocre to the point where you don't have any teams outside of Oregon with a winning record, conference games exclusively. Only Oregon has a winning record in the south, in the north, and in the in the north, in the south, excuse me, only SC and Utah. Well, that's the bad. You know, there wasn't that that much competition in terms of really quality teams but the good is you got the two most dominant teams and unquestionably the two teams that deserve to be here no one can argue that whatsoever not even Paul Feinbaum can argue that right so these are the two most complete teams and I think they both have the capability to beat you any which way you could beat a team and that includes you know getting some turnovers and getting the offense in great positions or possibly even like you referenced the pick six with Jalen Johnson getting the ball in the end zone and the defense scores so you know what's it going to be on special teams field goal kicking I know we know last year that Matt Gay was sensational this year I'm not really so sure it's not like they've been awful but they haven't been needed you know have they really had to have a clutch kick Nothing that comes to my mind that I can think of. So how's that going to be? So I have fascination in every aspect of this game. For me, I'm not necessarily singling out anything. I'm looking across the board to see. I guess one thing that that, that would set me up as far as thinking the most is can Oregon's defense stop Zach Moss in the running game? Because outside of the SC game when he went out with the shoulder, I don't think anybody has really stopped him. 
And are they going to be the first team that can really, really by stuff? I'm talking about stuffing them, you know, where he's got 30, 40 yards and is really a non-factor. I haven't seen it. I'm not sure that I've seen it in a couple of years. Can Oregon do that? Because we know we can we can recite every every answer that every question that Kyle gets. We can go and answer it for him because we know what the answer is going to be. We've heard all the questions that could possibly be answered to this guy, and we know his philosophy. We know everything that he's about. And so if they can run the ball, obviously they're going to continue to run it and run it. That's his bread. There's nothing more than Kyle likes to beat you running the ball and then to prevent you from running the ball because that's where he feels that your manliness is on the line. Who's tougher? And that's the best way to exhibit it. So can Oregon stop Zach Moss's running ability? That's the thing, I guess, if I singled out one that I would want to see. Well, he's got seven 100-yard games, and he had 99 against ASU, so I don't consider that being stopped. Uh, Colorado no. and NIU held him to 80 and 88. Well, he got taken out of both of those games before it was over because Obviously. they were winning so big. And then USC, six carries for 20 yards. He didn't do anything before he got hurt, but six carries into the game, you haven't had a chance to wear him down yet. So to your point, uh, you know, the sustained excellence the Utes have gotten from the running game and from Moss is uh, pretty obvious when you, when you go back and, and look at each game. So I, I right. think the answer would have to be no. The question is, does he have a good game against him? Because if Oregon, I think, if Oregon throws the ball and it gets to be a high-scoring game, they could probably endure a good game from Moss, and Oregon could still find a way to get the what would be a mild upset. If Moss has a great game where he's averaging, you know, a gazillion yards per carry, I mean, UCLA was seven yards a carry, Arizona was almost eight yards a carry, Cal was about seven. If he's not, if he's if he's getting seven or eight yards a carry and just lighting Oregon up, then then they're done. This game's over. Yeah, I consider for Zach, I consider a great game 150-plus. And that, to me, if he's doing that, I just don't see any way the Utes lose unless he puts it on the ground three, four times, which he hasn't shown a propensity to do that. Or Huntley throws a bunch of interceptions. And once he only got two this year, <laughs> two, that's it, two. Think about that for a second. That is a, that is a poultry number. And one of those was again against Arizona in the end zone where Kyle, right after the game, said the receiver ran the wrong route. I think the Sun Devils got one against him. I know they did. So That's that right. he jumped it. up and down. So, yeah. yeah, expecting them to turn the ball over, I don't see that either. I guess of all the things, that that, that number two has just got to jump out at you. I, I said this, I don't know if we were on TV or radio, that I never thought I'd see anyone with Alex Smith's stats. You know, they were so, and I think he threw four. You know, and that someone has halved that and that one of those two wasn't on him and the other one we have this just iconic shot of him jumping up and down, the balls in midair. I guess it goes back to what Kyle said about him, you know, the, the head is in the playbook right before the game, making sure he's totally locked in to the point you just literally almost never make a mistake. I mean, you, you would think at some point, and I guess one point he did against ASU, one, one time. Yeah, that was it one time. That's nothing. I mean, that's that's so negligible. You have to look at his football mind in concert with Andy Ludwig, and you have to say that this is the best combination that I have seen in a long time at Utah, maybe going back to that Alex Smith run. And obviously Brian Johnson had it going on too with Ludwig because they went undefeated, and you can't do anything better than that. But I think here for Tyler and the way Andy has used him has just been sensational. And it seems like 
he's been able to do what he needs to do. And I think we have to give some credit to the offensive line because as we looked at this team in the summer, one of the questions we had was the offensive line trying to incorporate guys, not just guys who were new, but guys who were potentially changing positions. And they've been able to withstand that. They've had a fair amount of health up front, too, which always matters because I think that's one of the places where you can really show some weakness is if you get battered along the offensive line. Only need to look at Stanford as far as that goes, where they've been hurt in the last couple of years. And Utah, I think they've had one injury in terms of where a kid had to miss a game. Uh, I can't remember the game. It was a couple of, just a couple of games ago. It might have been the Bruins because I think it was at home, if I remember correctly. Uh, and they've been able to be together and play well. And you have to coaches take so much heat when things go wrong, and we're seeing it this year. And as uh, already, you know, obviously a number of coaches get fired, and we'll see how that carousel turns. Well, when things go well, you got to be quick to praise the coaches too, because they often are the fall guys when things aren't going well. So when things go well, you shouldn't be hesitant to give them the praise. So you have to give Harding the praise for that in the offensive line. So that's something to where they've been really good. And and the offense has just – I don't want to say the offense has been good enough because I think that downplays it. The offense has been more than good enough. It has been – it hasn't been like scintillating offense, but maybe somewhere in between, whatever that might be, whatever word or description you want to come up with, but better than just good enough – not quite scintillating. Certainly they've gotten the job done. And I suspect they're going to get the job done tonight, although I'm real excited to see because I said the defense against Zach Moss. But really the defense as a whole against Utah's offense. This might be the toughest test that they're going to have to date this season. And so I'm real excited to see what happens and what they can do offensively against Oregon's defense. Uh, Utah's averaging about 35.5 points a game. That is top 20 in the country. So if you don't want to go great because you got to get to 40 points and be top 10, I get it. But, man, if you're top yeah. 20 in the country, you're very good. And, and Utah yeah, and Oregon yeah. are almost identical, I should say. They're 16 and 18. They're separated by a couple tenths of a point. Right, and that's where – so you can either go either way. But I'm looking at Utah's offense because I think the defenses that they've played, some of them have been okay – but I think this is going to be Oregon's be- the best defense that they've played. So Arizona State beat Oregon famously by throwing the deep ball again and again and again. Uh, you think Jalen Dixon, and, and obviously there are other guys too. Samson Nakua's had a long touchdown catch and run. Thompson would be a threat in that scenario. Uh, Dixon's the guy that jumps out at me, maybe more for last year than this year, but he's had some big plays this year. He had a big one against Washington. Uh, you think we should be looking for a big play from one of those guys? I would add in Keithy there yeah. too because obviously he's been a big play receiver. And that's why, you know, I I don't scoff at recruiting rankings, but I do take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because I think Keithy was a two-star. He's not looking like a two-star to me, man. (laughs) He's looking like Todd Christensen for the Raiders. And so he's looking really good. So somebody has to, yeah, because I think it's going to be hard. And we've heard that. Everybody says that. It's hard to just have... 12 play 80 yard drives uh, I don't know that and I know I'm probably going to catch heat for being a homer on this but I don't know that collectively Utah's receivers has they're as good as say an Iuke down at uh, Tempe and I know Iuke didn't do a whole lot because of the proverbial run for his life Jaden Daniels when they played the Utes but from what I'm, I'm hearing from some folks down there they think he's going to be a high draft pick so 
he may be better as far as a deep threat because we really haven't seen Jalen Dixon go deep this year. When he went deep, it was with Jason Shelley. Yeah. But he really hasn't gone deep that much with Tyler Huntley unless I'm forgetting something here. And we know that Shelley and Dixon came from the same high school, so they had the connection down there in Texas. Well, I really haven't seen it here. Now, does it matter? I mean, it, I guess for Jalen Dixon it might matter, but for the rest of us and certainly for you fans, they don't care who gets the ball in the end zone as long as the ball's in the end zone, obviously. So, yes, they're going to have to have big plays in the passing game, and it's probably – the one guy I would say would be Keithy right now because he seems like they're – it's like a BYU offense in that way. It's a, The tight end is your best weapon. Uh, but the other guys, Nakua, they're all capable. That's the great thing about it. They may not have a big-time uh, Chenault or even an Ayuk on the end or a Pittman, any of these receivers that we've seen have been really good. But collectively, obviously, it goes back to what I said. They may not be scintillating, but they're all certainly good enough, and I think they're a little bit more than good enough. They do not have a receiver with 30 catches yet, and the only guy who's gotten to 500 yards is Keithy. Uh, Thompson's right at right. 452. Um, yeah. And to your point about Dixon, he's only got two catches over 25 yards this year. He's actually done more of his work kind of, yeah, I, maybe it's just with that speed they get the respect and then that opens him up for, you know, stuff in the middle of the field over the middle and, you know, 15, 20, 25 yard, 20, well, not 25, but 15 or 20 yard gains. So, all right. Uh, anything else you would like to share from the world in sports that you have uh, absorbed in the last 24 hours? Well, when I get on the field tonight, uh, I'm going to just be in my socks. Oh, really? Yeah. Apparently, being just in your socks and not in your basketball shoes has really made the news since I left Salt Lake. And it's made the news nationally. It's a sign of disrespect. (laughs) You're being clowned. Laughing at you. Yeah, I had some people from old friends in Los Angeles contact me to say what was that all about. I, unless I'm wrong here, I'm thinking that uh, Harpring and Borjak are taking a bad rap because I think they were saying the disrespect was centered on him, LeBron, coming out on the floor in his socks. Well, actually, while play was going on, it was live as opposed to taking off his shoes and giving his shoes to a fan. I don't think that was part of the decision, unless I'm wrong on the timing. And I could be very well. And of all the things that are going on in the world, a man with his socks on and disrespect, and that's what we see as just uh, making the new cycle, it, it really makes you laugh a little bit. I mean, that, that's it. Uh, I think they were talking about coming out on the court in your socks, and hooping it up. I think that's, and they can speak for themselves, but I think that's what they were saying was a little disrespectful towards the Jazz. And we asked Joe Ingles about it yesterday, and he said he didn't like it, obviously. So it wasn't really taking the shoes and giving giving them to a fan. But it just cracks me up that that's that's one of the things that's that's making national news. Yeah, I'd rather talk about Paul (laughs) Feinbaum. And I don't really want to talk about Paul Feinbaum, but I'd rather talk about him. All right. Yeah, and that'll drop. I mean, we'll just move on, and we won't won't do that. I wanted Doug Gordon. He was telling me about what he was writing for the Tribune, and I was 
wanting him to say that the Utes will drop a fine bomb on Oregon. And he suggested that as a headline, but then he told me late yesterday that the Tribune did not run that. So I tried to get my influence into the paper, but I guess it didn't work. Dang it. All right, I assume we're going to hear you uh, roundtable 5 o'clock before the game, the hour before leading up to the Pac-12 title game at 6 o'clock. PK and Santa Clara probably on the shows all day long, actually. Thanks a lot, PK. All right, see you. Your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. Got a poll question up. You've been voting more than 500 votes so far. Utes going to roll again? Close game? What do you think? Predictions for tonight's game. 81% of you are taking the Utes, 19% taking the Ducks. And the Utes split pretty much evenly between a Ute blowout and Utes in a close game. 42% say Utes close. 39% say Utes in a blowout. 5% do you think the Ducks are going to win in a blowout? You go to uh, David DJ James on Twitter and vote, and uh, we can see how that, how that trends over the course of the day. Jordan says, I think it's going to be a close game. I'm thinking the Ducks got surprised by ASU and maybe weren't up for the game against Oregon State since they were eliminated from the playoffs the week prior. The question is, which Oregon team will show up? That's the real question. I think you're right about that, Jordan. If Oregon comes with a C-minus game, then put all your money on you. It's big. I don't think they'll come with a C-minus game. Now, people are saying, hey, Oregon can win this and go to the Rose Bowl and be the Pac-12 champ. You know, Oregon might lose this and go to the Rose Bowl if the Utes get in the playoff. Now, if the Utes get jumped by Oklahoma, then, of course, Oregon's to the Alamo. So they do have some incentive, but there's potential upside for them. Even if they lose, they could end up in the, uh, in the Rose Bowl. Jack says the Utes are going to have duck marmalade for dinner. Or they don't have a shot at the four seed. Well, that's true. Duck marmalade? Food that sounds horrific. Duck marmalade is right up there. Duck marmalade, that is awful. Dave says that Ute team is awfully good. Utah's going to roll. That's what you fans want to believe. Have they rolled really good teams? Haven't rolled anybody better than 7-5? I have rolled seven and five teams at home. Just don't have a big sample size to go on. It's uh, SC and even Washington turned out to be a seven and five team. All right, five o'clock roundtable pregame show tonight, right here on the zone. PK and Gordon are out there in Santa Clara. They'll be on shows throughout the day. Tony and Austin are next. We'll see you Sunday night on Talking Sports with PK. And back here Monday morning on 97.5 and 1280 the zone.